Before I went to Ecuador, we were, as a family, having breakfast on the back porch. And my dad said, you know, I'm thinking about starting a little sheep plant in Colorado Springs. Is anybody interested? And I said, hey, I want to do this Ecuador deal. I want to teach for a year and, and volunteer. But when I come back, I'm in. So he got the groundwork going. He technically started it in November of 98. And then I got back from Ecuador in the summer in August. And I got back on a Friday and started on Monday. Welcome to Breaking Down Boxes. I'm Gene Marino with Acres Packaging. And I'm Joe Morelli with Houston Patterson and Lewisburg Printing Company. We have compelling conversations with successful entrepreneurs in the packaging space. And now a word from our sponsors. Oxbox are the ones to call if you're looking for heavy duty or jumbo box manufacturing. Now you can get the same Oxbox strength with weatherproof durability. Their new Echo Board boxes are incredibly strong and yet earth friendly. You got to watch the case study video to see what these boxes can endure. Check it out at www.oxbox.com. Strength you can depend on. Having trouble with third grade math? Don't call Matt Davis. Self-admitted bad at math, but also probably one of the more humble and authentic people that, that you'll meet. Yeah, he's our incoming chairman, and we discuss Packaging Express and, and the way he's built that business, his leadership style, his commitment to his family, his faith. We appreciate you doing this. You grew up in, in the Colorado area. Yes. And uh, Jesuit High School and yes. then Jesuit University. Pretty near and dear, not only to you, but just your upbringing. Talk a little bit about going to Creighton and what you experienced, what you thought of it, degree in marketing. Was that always in the cards for you? Yeah, I think so. We went Catholic grade school and then Regis High School and Creighton. I picked Creighton because it was Midwest kids. I visited a couple other schools and Santa Clara and University of San Diego and some other Catholic institutions, but they were more like country clubs, I felt. And uh, once you figure out you're all in Omaha and with Midwest kids, you have a great time. And then after college, had the opportunity to volunteer for a year. I was the only kid from Colorado, the only kid from Creighton in Omaha, uh, but I found a program and it was just a chance to give back. And we went down and taught school. We were working with inner city street kids. And at the time we weren't there telling kids to work, but we were there because kids did work. And when you graduated from kindergarten, you got a shoe shine box. And some of these kids were the breadwinners for their families. They'd go to school in the morning and work in the afternoons. When they got to high school, there was 11 technical schools. So they would have Ecuadorian professionals teach these kids a skill. And so you could be an auto mechanic or a carpenter, or a baker, uh, an electrician. And uh, so they really, they taught these kids uh, a skill and then tried to place them into the workforce. And it was, it was amazing. There's a Jesuit that just passed away. He was from the Bronx. He went to Fordham. And he started this program and it was really his vision. And it was worth being there just to be with this guy. And he had 10 values of the center. And one that I still carry is work is a value. And, and so that's set the stage for getting into the box business. And were you raised, is that, you mentioned that that comes from the way you were brought up. Did, yeah. You started from an early age volunteering your time and giving back? Uh, a little bit, but I think probably more of it was the teaching bug and both my parents were teachers early on. 
And before my dad got into the box business, he was a teacher. And that's something that we try and still carry into the plant. I enjoy kind of the teaching part of it and getting in front of our employees and trying to, again, show them how we make money in the box biz. Yeah, you could have done that in Colorado Springs, though, not Ecuador. What, <laughs> like, you're just graduating college. What was it that attracted you to something that bold? I always knew I was going to come back to Colorado. So just a year to broaden my horizons. And it was a one-year commitment. They don't let you come home for anything because they're afraid you won't come back. <laughs> and it was a chance to see another part of the world. And we did get to travel a little bit down there. So we were in Ecuador, but we spent a New Year's in Bogota and Cartagena and Colombia. And then we went to Chile and it was great. And I wish every kid had that opportunity because it really does. I realized not every kid has that opportunity and that made it special. But it did set the tone for giving back and that we have it so good. Is there anything that you picked up during that time that you can look back on now and say, man, that was a real life lesson that I still carry out today as a business leader? Yeah. One of the things this Jesuit, Father Halligan, said is, if you don't hold a commitment, you're a bum. And that piece of do what you say you're going to do. Yeah. And so. That's awesome. Yeah. At the beginning, and maybe not, but w was there any kind of just a moment when you got over there, maybe in the first 90 days, you're like, what am I doing here? Or, or were you just, you were just all in and committed? No, absolutely. Those, it was like going back to college in some ways, your freshman year, where you're homesick yeah. and you know your buddies are having fun. But the cool thing is you get to see part of the world and you don't really get treated that well your first job. You're not making a lot of money. You're at the bottom of the, the barrel. And, and so I, I didn't miss anything by going and so it was great i'd do it again that's neat let's you mentioned your parents were teachers so i guess let's maybe start the story from the beginning sure your dad was in the industry but how did he go from being a teacher to boxes yeah and more, and more importantly how did your mother let him yeah because i'm right. sure he comes <laughs> home he's, i'm gonna sell boxes yeah. you're gonna what <laughs> yeah yeah it goes one more uh generation as my mom's dad who was in the box business. And so my parents met in Waterloo, Cedar Falls, Iowa. They met in first grade. We always joke and say they didn't date till second, <laughs> but they really didn't date till after college. And it was my, again, it was my mom's dad who was in the business. And he was, his name was TJ McLaughlin. And he was just the greatest grandfather you could ever imagine. He was the only child, but he had six kids. And he just loved family. And he started in the, in the 30s, and he bought his first corrugator two years after he started. And it was incredible. We have the purchase order. He paid 38000 for his first corrugator. That's fantastic. And so he was in the business, and he ended up having three plants. I've never been to these plants. It was before my time. One in Waterloo, one in Keokuk, Iowa and one in Albert Lee, Minnesota. And at the time he had his own, at some point in his career, he had his own single engine propeller plane and he would visit the three plants and be home for dinner. Wow. And so he was innovative. And so he was in the business. My dad, I think, swept the floor one summer before he knew he was gonna marry my mom. He never actually really worked for his father-in-law. And my mom went to a little Catholic school in Denver for college, and my dad followed her out after college, and they were both school teachers. And so my mom taught at a Cherry Creek public school, and my dad taught at a 
Catholic high school. And then they started to have a family. I've got two brothers. And my dad said, hey, I don't know if I want to do this on a, a, the teacher route. Yeah. And so he talked to his father-in-law, my mom's dad, and he said, get in the box business. So that's what he did. And at the time, my grandfather did a lot of work with the Horner family, and they were headquartered in St. Paul, Minnesota, but they had a plant in Denver. And so my dad, as I understand it, got connected with them, worked his way up, became the sales manager, and then Horner sold to Champion. He worked his way up, and at the time, Champion had plants all over the U.S., and they had a plant in Denver. They also had a plant in Salt Lake. And my dad was going back and forth, and I don't remember it, but my mom said, hey, time out. We're not moving. We had some other family in Denver. And so she said, figure it out. And so that's when he approached the DeLine family. And he said, hey, I want to start a sheep plant in Colorado Springs. And at the time, they said, why don't you buy in with us? And so that's what he did. Was there a relationship there between your father and the DeLine family prior? I think a little bit. Definitely it was a friendly relationship. And I'm not exactly sure. Were you, how old were you around the, the time? I your dad was, was five. Yeah, you were yeah. too young to remember any of that. Right. It's pretty amazing, though, hearing about knowing, knowing your parents and having a chance to know your mom and, and just that strong family value that now you, you have in your own family is this, hey, wait, <laughs> let's remember what's important here. And your dad being receptive to that. Hey, let's bring it back home and get local again. Because it we've talked to folks who 16 moves in, in a career. <laughs> It's can be it can be a grind. He jumps in with the Deline family. That's it. He's fully committed. And yeah, and they had a lot of success. And again, as I understand it, it's the Deline family has been great to our family. And Jim Deline and my dad were partners and really grew the business. And then Jim passed away, and my dad was there. And then Dave Dave was there too. And and my dad helped mentor Dave and. And Dave's fantastic, and he's been really good to my brother Pete, who's the number two guy at DeLine, and Dave's always been phenomenal to me. And, and as a company, we do everything they don't want to do, and so we ham and egg it from that standpoint. But it's just a great relationship. And then as it goes, sometimes in partnerships, if you want to sell, the other partner might not have the dough to do it. But the DeLines did, and my dad wanted to get paid for what he helped build. And over time, he started selling percentages back to the family. And that was always the agreement was, hey, if you ever sell, we want to keep it in the family. And it's fourth generation for the DeLine family. And so that's what he did. Yeah. Yep. But we still do a ton of business back and forth. So you, you come back from Ecuador and, and decide that you're going to jump into Packaging Express. Right. And it, what, where do you, so you communicate with your dad, hey, I'm back and I want in. You have a marketing degree. You've also spent a year teaching. Do you just become a executive VP of, of sales or no, do you have uh, to start sweeping the floor? Yeah, it was pretty neat. One, marketing is business with the least amount of math. How, how <laughs> that went. But before I went to Ecuador, we were, as a family, we were having breakfast on the back porch. And my dad said, hey, I'm thinking about starting a little sheep plant in Colorado Springs. Is anybody interested? And at the time, my older brother Pete was living in California and newly married, and he said, maybe, but not right now. My younger brother Tom, it really wasn't fair to him in some ways where he was still in college. And, but I said, hey, I want to do this Ecuador deal. I want to teach for a year and, and volunteer. 
but when I come back, I'm in. And that's what happened. So he got the groundwork going. He technically started it in November of 98. And then I got back from Ecuador in the summer in August. And I got back on a Friday and started on Monday. Wow. And, but at the time, there was only three employees. And so Andre, Andre Brown is our production manager still today. He was our first employee. And then we had a truck driver that was just crazy. And his name was Dave Crowley, and he was a maniac. And three tours in Nam and a special forces guy. Holy we really should have put him in collections, but he was great. And there's just so many fun stories from the early days where the beauty for me is no one was really over me in terms of, I didn't know the box business. We didn't sit around the dinner table talking about RSCs. So you're pretty green coming in, but there was no one to step over. You know, we kind of all started it together. And in those early days, I remember Dave, our truck driver. Yeah, we had a guy, an employee, and he nicknamed him LIFO, like the inventory. He was always last in, first out. And he didn't last very long at the, at the box plant. But it was just when you're not a big group, you can have a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. You take me back, you go down to Ecuador. You're doing your thing. Were you, while you were there, questioning what you wanted to do then with, with your dad when you got back? No, we were starting and we were talking about the name. What are we going to call it? And we had a couple different ideas. And then, yeah, really we settled on Packaging Express. And we put the Express in there for a reason. And that's how we knew we wanted to compete, is we wanted to compete on speed. Yeah. Feel like quality is a given. You have to have quality. And then it's price and service. And so we said, hey, it's going to be service and it's going to be speed. That's really cool that there was collaboration between the two of you yeah. in yeah. starting the business. Yeah. Right. Your dad brings the sales piece and obviously the management piece, right? And you come in and you're green. Are you out on the road? Are you helping in the plant? I what was in the doing? plant. Yeah, we only had a few pieces of machinery and uh, just helping whatever the orders were that day. I was really helping Andre and then Dave was delivering them. And then slowly we would just get a new piece of equipment and another employer too. And that's how we are today. We're still, we're lean and mean. We're 25 people. And, but I would say our claim to fame is we really have no turnover. And hopefully that means we're treating people right. We hired two people last year and that's because we got a new machine. And it's been amazing. We just, it's the same people making the boxes every day. We don't have any temps. We haven't had a temp since before COVID. And we were able to get them out during COVID. And we felt at that time they were more likely to show up sick because they needed the dough. And so we just said, hey. And we found out that we could run it uh, without them. And during COVID, we did move and we did add some equipment. So we gained a lot of efficiencies. And we just hire one or two people a year. That's wild. We're bouncing over a lot of stuff. Yeah. There's a dynamic where, as you said, you added more equipment, you grew. Your dad got out of all the day-to-day, -day. you took over, we're glossing over, and we want to unpack some of that. But what is your style? Obviously, you have a love for teaching, but how do you connect with your people, and what is your philosophy on how you try to lead them? Yeah, it's out walking the floor a couple times a day, and with a smaller group, you really get to know them, and that's part of it. And you have your, you have your work family, and then you have your family. And I'll get into it during my year, 
I often wonder who's more important, the external customer or the internal customer. I know you absolutely need the external customer, but we fight for the internal and we fight hard and we try and make it a great place to work and it's still work. So it's that piece and we do some neat things from a profit sharing standpoint. We're very careful with our words. It's not a bonus. A bonus implies a gift. It's not a gift. It's earned. It's based on profitability. We've never not been profitable and we've never not shared the pot. And that's why people stay. How did you learn? Like, was there somebody that you watched through the time? I mean, you came in on day one, not knowing anything about boxes, I, I, or very little. You had no experience running the company. And in 20, 23 years, 24 years later, you guys are flourishing in the leadership style that you've crafted. Yeah, it started with my dad, for yeah. sure. And being generous and wanting to give back. We talk about it with our employees. You're, they're not getting the check because we're generous. They're getting the check because they earned it. And that is there to catch everything that we don't see. It's what are you doing when no one's watching? My style is not to micromanage anybody. And if someone's dogging it, sure, they're stealing from me as the owner, but really they're stealing from the guy or gal next to them. And they self-police. And that's been a good thing. But I just, my, I guess a regret would be I never worked for someone else. I worked with a Jesuit. And then I started Packaging Express with my dad, and I started at Packaging Express. And that, that was the downside. I wish I would have worked somewhere else to get some other experience. But, and I never worked there for him during high school or anything, which was great because I never had any bad experiences. Mm-hmm. I had some buddies that worked for their fathers, and they would never go back because they were sweeping the floor all summer. And they said, hey, I'm out of here. But that was a positive was never having bad experiences. The negative is you don't have some of those experiences to draw on. I think there's a lot of benefits to, again, having met and spent time with your folks, both two very positive people. I think I think you as well, your wife Maggie, and, and I think that maybe that's allowed you um, to be free in your own style because right. you, you didn't necessarily have, we've all had a bad boss or, or a bad peer where you feel like you're getting pounded on the head all day long. So maybe in, le- in lieu of that, it's created that, it's reinforced that positivity and how it works in your style. Yeah, and even when we got started, it was definitely my dad that started the company, but when he did, he was living in Denver. I moved to Colorado Springs because we felt to do it right, I had to be part of the community. And so that was one of the requirements uh, is that I had to move to Colorado Springs right as we started and be part of the community. Uh, but it was nice because my dad wasn't there every day. He'd come, you know, two or three days a week. And then over time, that became less and less. So I always had the freedom. He wasn't breathing down my neck all the time. And uh, so that was great. And then, you know, my mom passed away 14 years ago. And at that time, I had been buying 10% a year for my dad. And being that I have two brothers, we we had an accounting firm value the business. We had a lawyer draw it up. And even before my mom passed away, the plan was for me to buy into the business. At that point, I had been there for about eight years and said, yep, this is what I want to do. And so I had been buying 10% a year. And so we were 50-50 partners. And then my mom passed away. 
and my dad became less interested in the business. And it was a good time. I took a loan out and bought the second half of the business, and he wanted to do other things. And so, so how did that transition go between you and your dad? Great. Uh, it was wonderful. Uh, you know, there was definitely days where people still saw him as the boss for a few years, for sure. And so you could spend months working on something, and he could upend it in 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> One thing about my dad is he's always been an encourager and a supporter and he has awareness and he was good about just working together. And part of it was in some ways it was his identity. He was definitely in the box biz and that's a big piece of his life. But after my mom passed away, it wasn't what he wanted to do was come into the, yeah, a little sheet plant in Colorado Springs. And yeah tell people what to do. And so that that made the transition pretty easy where it was more supportive and than anything, which is which really helped me. You look at the evolution like Joe said of your leadership style and you've said a couple really important things that stand out in my head. One is what's so commendable is you're just all in commitment. All the chips are in and there are no rules. There is nobody to walk over. So you're just learning the business. And if this needs to be done, then it'll be done. And so I think as that longevity has been there, people see that in you and there's probably a high degree of respect for that. So I, I think that's a kind of a neat opportunity to grow this like raising a child. It's your baby. So it it's is. very cool. Yeah. Were there times a year into it, two years into it, early 2000s, where you had regrets of getting into it or were you always 100% in? No, no, it's always what I wanted to do. I would say when we were looking for some other space, some other buildings, uh, I'm not trying to slam commercial realtors, but I am. <laughs> Those guys don't do anything. They drive fancy cars and go golf. And I thought that's the easiest job in the world. But that little twinges of doubt like that yeah. sometimes. But no, I love the box business. And this is what we do. And this is what we're going to do during COVID. As you guys know, we're an in-person business and we didn't miss a shift and I was there every day. I stayed home one day just to try it because you have friends that were out walking the dog and taking <laughs> naps and I thought, hey, that sounds good. And so I tried to try it one day and I wasn't sick, but Maggie said, buzz off. <laughs> out of the house, Matt. Yeah. But this is what we do and this is what we plan to do. Yeah. That's yeah, fantastic. What is your take on, you know, you, you, you buy out your dad and you, it's not like you can just walk around everybody and say, hey, now I'm the new guy in town. There, there's a period of transition. Does your roles and responsibilities begin to evolve and now you're saying, hey, I've got, I guess, gaps in talent that I need to start addressing? Were, were you like visualizing those kinds of things as you've taken some debt out and you own this thing? and? Yeah, probably the biggest piece was the business got big enough where we went from a bookkeeper to a CFO. And that was a big leap for us as a company and for me, because that was the first time I really had a right hand that wasn't my father to help support me and lean on. And so that was a big step. Yeah, absolutely. How did that kind of early transition days of, yeah, like you defined, you, you've got this, what you're used to. You bring in someone with significantly more capacity and skill. How do you begin to lay out the rope to let them take more off your plate? Right. Was it an, just a learning experience? A learning experience. And fortunately, the CFO we brought in was a really dynamic CFO. And he was a customer 
for many years. And the biggest thing is we already had the trust piece. And so I, and I knew he was a self-starter and a worker. And so it was great. That's really neat. It's not easy. Yeah. And then he transitioned to another startup. He hit a couple of home runs in life and wanted to try to hit one more. So he moved on. But the neat thing is at a dinner party, another person had heard that we might be looking and I got a call from another customer and he said, hey, I'd like to put my hat in the ring. And so we hired him as our CFO and he's even better. And it's just been- It's worked out. Yeah. The good news is that you have someone like that because you have, you're notorious for saying you're bad at math. And I just wanted to make sure <laughs> you didn't pay your dad over 20 years, 10% a year. Yeah, that's a good question. Portion of the business. So it's good that it worked out uh, uh, successfully. Yeah, I'm still paying him. So after that last payment, maybe he'll let me in on that. <laughs> Raising a family outside of the business. I'm sure that you have pressures to grow the business. You have pressures to pay wages to your right. team members. And then you're always bringing your kids around. You're all, they're always at these events and I've always admired that. But how do you balance the Yeah, two? it's tough. And the, the brunt of that really is on Maggie and she does such a good job. And so that's, that's the challenge is you want to spend more time with your family. That's part of why I bring them is I came to these events when I was a kid. And I remember we've been all over the world really. But so I came and right now they're at an age, first grade and third grade, we're pulling them out of school. They're not missing anything. So we've been able to do it. We'll have to see how that continues, but why we could do it, I thought it was important. And I like having them here. I like being with them. And uh, because at home it is, it's a lot of work and we're working most Saturdays. And so you just don't have a ton of family time. Are you able to unplug when you get home? And are you obviously owning a business has got to be ever consuming. It's got to be on your mind all the time. It is. Yeah, it's tough to unplug. Um, you can't really unplug in some ways unless you go to Europe or something where <laughs> the time changes. But nowadays with cell phones and everything else, you're on all the time. But we've been good. Uh, on Sundays, it's a special day. And there was a neat priest, Monsignor Shea, and he said, you can't get Monday right till you get Sunday right. And I've always, you try and do a lot of family stuff, go to church, do whatever, family dinner. And I believe in that. And we're good with drawing the line with our customers where I say, hey, I'll answer your first thing Monday morning, but yeah. you're not gonna get a response on Sunday. You have a pretty, pretty great CEO advisory group, part of the AICC's offering. How has that helped you be a better leader, better operator? Oh, it's tremendous. Because we're a small business and because I didn't work anywhere else, it's been great to have a group it's a de facto board of directors. And the neat thing is, even though everybody's market is so different and their mix is different, you can still learn a ton. And I would say that's one of the, the best things that AICC offers is the CEO groups. And anyone who's not in one, I'd encourage you to get one. Because after a few meetings, you really get the trust up and the group is there to challenge you. They'll question your decisions. But the neatest thing is at the end of the day, they want nothing other than for you to be successful. There's nothing in it for them. They just want to see your success and they encourage you. And the neat thing about those groups is they can always one up you. You think you're doing well, someone's doing better. 
you think you've got it bad, someone can tell you a story about what happened to them. And it's, so you come back and, and you're just fired up. You're, you've got a new energy and you get to go tackle your business. Yeah. So. You're added to a, not a very large list of second generation AICC chairman. I think that's got to be a proud moment for Jim, your dad. Yes. Yeah. But it's funny. My dad's the best. When I told him that I was in line is the first thing he said to me was, you don't want to be the first chairman without a box plant. Now go sell something. <laughs> That's just how he is. Yeah. But no, at the end of the day, he's proud. That's very cool. Yeah. Every year the chairman has a theme. What's your theme? So it's what I'm calling the independent advantage. And I would say that AICC provides the network. And then the independent advantage is how you use the network. And so as independents, it's our, it's our edge, it's our competitive advantage, uh, but it's more than that. It's our secret sauce and everybody has a different secret and some of those should remain secret, but it's also all the other things that you learn from other people in AICC. And so to me, the, the independent advantage starts with the right people and that's in your company and your customer base and you try and figure out who those right people are and what customers you're really going to pursue that are a good fit for you. Then it's the right education, showing your people how you make money in the box business and how they affect it. And then I would say it's the ease of communication and how accessible we are. And if you want a decision, we don't hide behind voicemail and emails. We, it's pretty easy to get to the president or a decision maker. And I would say the way we communicate, and I think the single best thing that we can do is independence is meaningful relationships with our folks in the plant and with our customers. And so it's all that baked in with the other layers. Even if you turn the plant upside down, the customer doesn't feel it. And even your people don't feel it as much. And so it's organized chaos. <laughs> and to do that with, with grace is what we're trying to do. And then the last piece I would say of the independent advantage is I feel like we all have that entrepreneurial spirit. And the people that are celebrating 50 years in this business, that's what they had. And it doesn't matter what generation you are, or what part of the family tree, or what part of the company, each year you try and get better than the last year, and that involves that entrepreneurial spirit. We're going after new machinery and new customers. How, as you've worked your way through the chairs over the last couple of years, have you been right. looking at Gene and Jana and saying, okay, if I, when I'm there, I'm going to do this? Or And, you know, you try and take into account kind of the climate that we're in. And I didn't know part of me was thinking good businesses are made in tough times. And I think we all demonstrated that during COVID, but wanted to put my own spin on it. And yeah. The beauty, the hidden secret of the board is you get to work with so many great people. And, and so I would say the beauty of AICC is if you participate, you get to interact and learn from people in your own business, which is, is special. So yeah. we have to embrace. I, I have to say as, as a content committee chair, your meetings have progressively gotten better. And yeah, you. you turn the meetings into a modern day almost production in a lot of sure. cases. And it's been really refreshing as an industry to see the spin you've put on it. I think Al 
really helped lead the charge with that piece. And then AICC staff, they don't get enough credit, but they really do a lot of behind the scenes work for sure. With your love for teaching and volunteering your time and your dad's background in teaching, how important is it for you to help the next generation? I still, you're very young in, in, in our industry, but how important is it for you to bring people through and mentor them in the industry, not just in life? Yeah, no, I'd love to. And we try to, and kind of the neat thing about our business is I did hire, it's technically my cousin's kid, but we just call him cousins. And I hired Andrew and we've had the same life. Uh, we grew up in the same neighborhood. We went to the same high school. I'm just 17 years older. And the neat thing is he's seen my dad have success and my older brother Pete have success and me. And so he knew what he was getting into. But that's part of the plan for sure is I'm 47 and he's 30. When he's 47, I'll be 65. And that's how this is going to go. And it's phenomenal. And he's bringing a lot of energy. And coming to these meetings, being here at an AICC meeting, early on when I was dating Maggie, it was special to bring her because she didn't know the box business. Her family wasn't in it. They're not manufacturers. So for me to be able to show my future wife that this is why we do what we do, and she got to see some of the other folks in the room that were successful and really successful, that's been tremendous. And now bringing Andrew in for the same things. It's the same benefit. He gets to see other people that are successful, and that's what he wants to do. And so it's been great. So we're trying to, it's been great having some youth in the company. I feel like I'm not that old, but we needed that energy and just a different way of looking at things. What You made a, a pretty sizable investment that seems to be working out very well, your new piece of equipment. What was that process like for you? What did you learn from a move like that? And what advice would you give someone stepping into that space for, for the time? Yeah, it was a large investment for us and for me personally, but I'm so glad we did it. And on one hand, I say to myself, I wish I would have done it five years ago, but it just takes a while for you to get to that point. And over the years, we've added new equipment and different equipment, but this was our first major leap. And part of it is I still have a young family, so the risk, something did happen, we could recover and still have time to, to rebound. So that was part of the equation. The other part of the equation is I, I mentioned Andrew. I wanted something, in some ways, a reason for him to, to stay and to grow, and he's going to help us really grow this thing, and we just needed some firepower. And it's complementary equipment to some of the things that DeLine does, and so that's good because there's still a strategic relationship there, and it was just the right time, and a uh, good time in my life to do it, and I think it's just going to propel us to more of those decisions. Yeah. Yes. I understand that your passion, you, you wanted to be a ski instructor. I did. Yeah. <laughs> but then I realized I like to eat nice food and travel. <laughs> and <laughs> it's funny what you think about when you're in eighth grade or early high school. But I knew early in, my parents were always good about not, we never had to be in the box business. We were encouraged to do what we want to do. But for me, uh, I remember uh, going on a sales call. Uh, with my dad and he always called on the western slope of Colorado and 
uh, there's a mountain range called the Collegiate Peaks, and it's Mount Harvard, Mount Yale, and Mount Princeton. And, and my dad and I were driving down the road, and he goes, this is the closest you're ever going to get to Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when I knew I was getting in the box. <laughs> If you, you look back, uh, you know, again, you're a young man. It's not like we're at the twilight of your career by any means, but who are, who are some of the people? I imagine your dad, maybe one of the DeLine family members, but who are the people that have been most influential in your yes. career? Yeah, there are so many. Really, the CEO groups are, have been phenomenal. Certainly my dad, and I mentioned Dave DeLine, has been so good to me. And through AICC, there's just been so many folks, Tyler Howland and Chuck Feeney and Mike Hurley, Chris Hoish has really been influential to our family. He took Pete under his wings early on and then and took me under his wing. And we went to Drupa four or five times with Chris and John Kelly and some of those folks. And, and I've had the luxury of coming to all these meetings and just meeting people. And I hate naming names because I and know inevitably you'll for, forget I, somebody. I'm going to leave somebody <laughs> out, but just off the top of my head, those folks. For sure. You've spent a lot of time in this industry, as have I. You, you can pick up the phone and call anyone, and they'll be willing to help answer a question, solve a problem. And it's just, it's remarkable. It really is. It is. Yeah. No, it's special. That's why we've got to embrace it and yeah. keep this, you keep did, building those relationships. You did something interesting recently with artists and residents, but tell us a little bit about that. It's pretty amazing artwork, but just your thoughts on that and, and the arts in, in general. Yeah, that was really my wife, Maggie. We've always been interested in the arts. We are not artists, but in our business, you always try and find ways to give back. And we do give back in a lot of different ways. But one way that we came up with is we had this little corner in our plant that I always thought was really cool space. It's, it's just good light and high ceilings. And we just stored junk in it. We had old chairs and computer parts that we're, we're never gonna use, and some file boxes. And I just said, let's clear this out. And was talking to some friends at a dinner party, and we realized that, that wouldn't that be cool to, to let artists use that space? As long as we vet the project and that they actually have a project. Uh, and then going through this, we realized that the one thing artists don't have is space. And now we let artists use the space as long as they have a project. And we got uh, connected with a woman named Wendy Mike. There's a new hospital being built in town. And she got commissioned to do a project. She was doing a piece for their atrium of the orthopedic center of this hospital. And just coincidentally, she makes people in poses and it's rock climbers and she makes them out of packaging tape. And it just couldn't have been more of a fit. And she has a key to our building. She comes and works whenever she wants. She has her own entrance and she's part of the team. You see her in the break room and we trust her. And so it, it was just great. And the cool thing is she actually, she told us that she fed off the energy of the plant and people would come in and see what she was doing and that gave her energy, and she was there for about five months. That's crazy. And I think we already have our second artist. So her stuff, she finished. It's going to get moved to the hospital. It's going to be 14 feet up in this atrium and goes to about 30 feet tall. And then we've, we've got our next artist, we believe, who's a professor at the University of Colorado, and she's working on something. And this is all kind of 3D stuff. It's not really a space 
or someone just making a painting. It's someone that needs some space and projects that they couldn't do in their basement. You talked a little bit about Maggie. How does she, it's not support is really the wrong word, almost sharing this journey with you of the business and what does she mean? Yeah. In that regard. The neat thing is, I say, Maggie, I was the weak gazelle, and she ran after me and hit my back leg and pounced on me. But the neat thing about Maggie is we have the foundation. She also taught in Ecuador. She was a different year from me. Uh, she was a year after me. Uh, but when you live in a third world country, you think your college buddies are close. You really become close with the other the other teachers that we were working with and we'd see each other at the same events and we'd do fundraisers for this school that we taught at but we didn't date till kind of 12 years into that but we'd see each other she was living in new york city and my younger brother tom was working in new york city and we'd all go out and and then uh, we reconnected at a at a fundraiser and i said hey i've got a box plant not moving to new york city Will you come out to Colorado? And she did. And she believes in what we're doing. And she knows all the folks at the plant. And we try to only talk about the wins. And she's just been a great support. And yeah, she, it's just so much fun to have a partner and to go through life. What's, what's next for Packaging Express? What's next for you? Where, again, you got a long runway left in your career, yeah. but what, where, do you see, where do you see the business going? And yeah, professionally really, for you. We're in growth mode. And that, that, that's where we are. We, we don't know if we're ever going to be huge, but we want to have reasonable growth and we're getting after it. We're hustling. Would you, one day, your kids are still young, but would you like to see them get into the business? You mentioned Andrew as a part of the success. Yeah, I ask Mary Elizabeth almost every day <laughs> and she always says, absolutely not. <laughs> I don't really see that as the vision, I don't know. I think, again, with Andrew being 17 years younger, that's definitely part of the plan. But like my parents were with me, I just want our children to do whatever makes them happy. And that might be the box business, but in my mind right now, it's not. But who knows? Yeah. You're extremely modest and humble. I think it's not, the, it's not just the money why people stay and longevity. It's nice of you to reference that they share in the wins, but it's, you have a style that obviously people are attracted to, and it speaks volumes based on the longevity of the people that you have at your company, and you, you should be commended on the style and the approach that you take because I don't think there's a lot of people that could say they have that kind of longevity, that kind of trust factor. They have I think that's a reflection of you and, and your style and your core values, just who you are as a person. And, and I think it just, it permeates that company. It's really commendable. Thank you. Matt, you've always been somebody that I've looked at as a leader in the industry, but just hearing your story and I admire your humbleness, uh, your faith, your commitment to your family and just seeing your kids always at these events. Something I always look at is, man, that's a really, guy's got it put together. And so I, yeah, to Gene's point, I commend you on your success and wish you all the best in the future. Yeah, thank you, and I'm honored to be here. Breaking down boxes. New shows will drop the first Monday of every month. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.